Hello and welcome to the Raptor Show on Sportsnet. I'm your host, Wen Lu. Joining me on Tuesday is Blake Murphy. Unfortunately, we're not in the studio. We don't have a drop. This is a Zoom. Um, so let me just do my best, Derek, that Brandale impersonation. Blake Murphy Tuesday. All right, Blake, how you doing, man? Good, man. I didn't even realize it was Tuesday. That's yeah. that's how I'm doing. Is had no idea. Yeah, yeah, uh, that's fair. Some of us are still working, you know. Some of us are occasionally working. I, I, I did work yesterday, you know. Getting down to interview Grady was cool. Um, yeah, that's but... great, great chat. By the way, it's like obviously he's good in the press conference situation too, and like on draft night. But like, yeah, see, you got a little more, a little more meat to what he's all about. Uh, all right. Sitting in that, in come that, on, in that. Oh man, see now <laughs> Wait, I'm even I doing. You, it. I thought you were making a joke. That's now I'm even doing it by accident. <laughs> And like, by the way, this has got to be the first time that like real sports and the Raptors have like uh-huh. promoted this jersey now available. Yeah, like, they know what they're doing. Well, listen, I- I've already predicted that this is going to be the number one jersey of Frosh Week across uh, the oh, incoming yeah. class of uh, 2023. Um, catch this is going to be like the unofficial school uniform of Western University. I feel like if they <laughs> make the throwback purple for for the Dick cool. jersey, I think it'll literally be the number one high seller. But yeah. Yeah, Blake, appreciate you. Obviously, you know, you're you're busy. You're 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 every single day in, in the um in the Blue Jays grind, so I appreciate you. And I know this is your real love though. You, you know, your real love is for hoops still. Is that correct? Yeah, buddy. I mean, the Marquis Noel, like mm. Kevin Obenor, like oh, DJ, DJ Hogg, Desmond Cambridge Jr. Let's go. I got my summer league spreadsheet, summer league roster spreadsheet going. So <laughs> you're such a sicko, man. We'll no, be all you, right. Give me one quick fact about DJ Hogg with two G's, if you have it. If you have been any playing, fact. He's, he, like, I think he played for the Lakeland Magic a couple years ago, but he's okay. been grinding down in the Aussie League. Mm. Anyways, coming to summer camp with them. I think it's probably one of those things like, how Jordan Lloyd started out a couple years ago where it's okay. like, Hey, you've been good overseas. We like how you developed since you were in the G league last let's see. And maybe you could fight for a two way if summer league goes well, but in all likelihood, like there are five of those guys every year and most of them end up being guys who just go right back to overseas. Yeah. That's how I know you're a real one. Cause I, uh, you know, even though you're literally every single day, eat, sleep, breathe, baseball, blue Jays, baseball, we'll, we'll talk about it for five minutes at the end. If we have time, <laughs> Um, this guy still has a full scouting report and history on DJ Hogg, man. That's, uh, yeah. I, I mean, I've never questioned if you had that dog in you, but like genuinely, like, you know, yeah. all due respect to everything that you do because, uh, you know, no one grinds like this, man. No one, and look, not man, even just, DJ Hogg. I was going to say, I just, I really hope that we get Hogg and Dick on the court at the same time. <laughs> I think we, I think I'm pretty sure we will. I'm pretty sure we will. Okay. Um, yeah, so we, we have an hour here. I wanted to talk about um, let's talk about the money first. I feel like okay, obviously free agency is coming up. Uh, end of the week, free agency begins, and you know it'll be um, a mad scramble as always. The Raptors already got one of the three done with Gary opting in. That was a bit of a surprise, um, you know. Uh, so okay, cool. There's some permanency there. We can we can circle back and see if the if the uh, uh, extension is reached than anything like that. Even if they don't reach an extension, I think this is a pretty good outcome for the Raptors or for Gary to come in because it gives you a lot of clarity. Now you have two free agents in Yaka Proto and Fred Van Now the issue is, well, I suppose not so much an issue, but the hurdle is that they're very highly sought after. Can we just start at the very top? So what kind of total budget are we looking at? Realistically, the Raptors are not going into the tax. This is not because MLSC is cheap. It's because the Raptors are sensible. This is not a team that you go into the tax for. You go into the tax when you are a contender. The Raptors are not a contender. So the tax line was updated to $165 million. Uh, So 
if the Raptors want to stay under the tax, and let's say they're already going to waive Thad Young, which is, I think he's making eight. He's only guaranteed for one. Let's just pretend he's, he's waived and he's making that one. Sorry, Thad. Um, how much budget do we have for Fred and for, for Fred and Pat's, uh, Jakob? Yeah, and just to follow up on your first point, yes, that is the, and the other thing about the tax is not only is it's a, it's a cheapness and a, it's not a cheapness and it's a when do you use it kind of thing. There are also, and the Raptors probably won't run into this, but there are repeater penalties that get stricter and stricter. So you want to try to avoid it in case you need to go into it later. The biggest thing though, is if you are a non-tax team, you also receive all the tax payments. So this mm-hmm. year, for example, Raptors are getting a check for about 15 million from all the teams that paid into the tax. So now is MLSE not fielding a competitive team to make $15 million? No, but when you're coming down to, ah, oh, shoot, could we keep Joe Wieskamp uh, on a guaranteed deal or, or can we cut him now and keep that roster flexibility? Like when a Joe Wieskamp or Sam Decker was the example the other year, like mm. Sam Decker was an $18 million swing if you kept him as the 15th man versus if you waived him God, to duck the tax. Yeah. Okay. yeah, yeah it's like, and you, I like Sam Decker. It's, yeah, yeah, but I know, not, yeah. Paying, you know, 18, paying Gary Trent Jr. and OG and Anobi money in real dollars to keep yeah. a 15th man. So that's part of why. So if we work under the assumption, yeah, Thad's gone. I've worked under the assumption Wieskamp's gone and maybe they re-sign him on like a lesser guaranteed deal or something. Oh, you know, he was down bad when he heard the Raptors to like Grady Dick at the number yeah. 13th pick. He's like, oh, I'm done here. I'm cooked. Yeah. Yeah. Poor um, guy, man. We got Grady Dick at home in Mississauga. Um, so <laughs> uh, the number to keep in mind. So you have to make a couple assumptions here because like you're not allowed to just empty your roster and then use all that space. You have to sure. you have to assume that you're going to sign minimum guys um, to fill out the roster. So I have assumed Thad's out and you eat the one million. Weiss camps out. And then the rest of the roster for now is just filled out with minimums. That's mm-hmm. how they'll do it. If those are the assumptions you make, you've got about 42 million for Fred and Jakob. Okay. Now, 42 million for Fred and Jakob is like, that's it. That's your off season. The rest is minimums. There's no mid-level exception there. Cause that'll push you into the tax. Obviously you can create more than 42 million. If you find a home for auto Porter jr. If you, you know, I wouldn't want to see this guy go, but salary wise, Chris Boucher is a guy who, if you found someone who wanted him because he's a good player on a reasonable deal, that would open up most of the mid-level for you, things like that. You can get north of 42, but the way things stand right now, 42 is the number uh, for Fred and Yak. And then you got to, you know, you can get creative with backloading and things like that. But 42 is probably the one to keep in mind. Uh, Okay, in that scenario, let's say you... I mean, I suppose you could just straight salary dump or you can stretch and wave a guy like Otto. Um, I suppose there is technically the possibility he comes back and he would be worth his salary. Um, but I think that is a little bit unlikely just based on his injury history recently. But um, I suppose, okay, let's let's suppose that you stretch and wave auto. Um, does that get you up to like 45? Are we looking yeah, at it gets 40? you an extra 4.2 million. So basically what okay. you do in that case is you uh, you could stretch that 6.3 zone over the ne- this year and the next two. Uh, so that would open up 4.2, but you're also, and I know we'll talk about future cap scenarios and stuff like that. You mm-hmm. do have to be a little bit careful of eating, like having 2.1 on your books for next year as sure. well, depending on how these things go. So it might be, I, I think a likelier case is you find a home for him. Then you wave him like usually a $6.3 million salary. So you can figure it out. Okay. So let's start just from that figure alone, right? Because it seems like Yak wants roughly 20 um fred wants north of 30 but let's just say he wants 30 like 
even when we just start at those numbers right there, the Raptors might already be running into a scenario where they have to make subsequent roster moves and whatever. Some of them are light that you won't feel them as much as Thad getting waved or even auto getting stretched. I mean, on, in terms of on court performance, you're not going to feel that. Um, but do you think that is already a reason enough where teams are starting to come in and, and sniff around on these two guys? Not, not only just because they're really great free agents, but their people are looking at them like, well, the Raptors probably don't have enough space to squeeze both guys in. Yeah, I think that's part of it. And I think if you're the Raptors, you know, this, even though you paid a pick for Jakob Pertl, and we've heard a million times about how much they love Jakob Pertl, it really does flow from the Fred thing. Because if you believe that bringing this core back and you add Grady Dick and a new coach and better vibes and culture and all that stuff, and, oh, you can get back to two years ago, they were a 48-win team. If you buy into all that stuff, mm-hmm. even for the segment of your audience that is not a that aren't huge Fred Van Vliet fans or whatever, which is a separate conversation. But even if that's the case, that gets astronomically more difficult without Fred Van Vliet, who two years ago was an all-star, is in the middle of his prime. And even if you don't think he's an all-star, he's still a very good player. Mm-hmm. The we can run it back and be even better becomes really dicey when your starting point guard is Malachi Flynn. Or, and this is the other thing is like, the way the cap system works is if Fred leaves, you don't have that $30 million to spend on someone else yeah. because of cap holds and what's already on the books and stuff like that. You can, you could carve your way to like a little bit of cap space, but not enough to replace Fred and Yak. So, you know, if Fred were to walk, then does it even make sense to bring Yaka Pertle back? If you're not going to be that good right away. Mm-hmm. Um, those are the questions that flow. I do think in terms of teams sniffing around, certainly, you know, teams will, the teams that have cap space or can find a way to cap space. Yep. And draft night was a good example of this with the Kings and the Mavs. And they're going to use the cap space differently. They're not chasing Fred, but they did show with draft night trades, how, how quickly a team can clear up some cap space yep. to make, to make moves. So, um, you know, you can, you look at those, but I do think a team like Houston, for example, that I know Jake Fisher was talking about today on the JD Bunker show. Um, you know, that's a place where, they don't have to worry about a sign and trade or anything like that. It's mm-hmm. just straight cash and it's op- cash is an opportunity cost as well. But yeah, I think some of those teams would call the Raptors bluff. Um, it gets a little harder when you get into some of the teams that would need to orchestrate a sign and trade sure. because then it's like, well, you've got to outbid the Raptors and give them an asset to play ball. Um, and then, you know, does Fred want to go to the situation in Houston right now? Maybe he does. Um, but those are those are kind of all the the factors that play uh, with Fred's decision. Okay, let, let, let's 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 dig into a little deeper with Fred. So, um, yeah, I mean, I had talked to Jake as well last week, and we kind of walked through these scenarios. Seems like Orlando already is dealing internally with a glut of, of guards, right? Yeah. I mean, they keep dra- dra- drafting high in the lottery. They got a Jalen Suggs. Now they got Anthony Black. Um, they already have Cole Anthony. Um, and then Markel Fultz, who's probably the best immediate player out of those four guys, um, is already signed long term. So it's kind of like they're already trying to find time for their guards. Um, so I don't know if it completely makes sense for them to sort of go into the free agency, make a big splash and then bring Fred to Orlando. That would probably be in terms of sign and trade scenarios. If you're rooting for a sign and trade uh, involving Fred, I would my personal read is that seems to be the best one from a Toronto perspective because they have the most guards available to be shipping out. They're definitely going to ship out another guard if they're going to sign in Fred. I suppose the Lakers are a possibility there as well in terms of, but I mean, it's like you get D'Angelo Russell and that's not exciting to me. And so, and the, the Lakers have to be very, very careful because um, one, like if you acquire someone in sign and trade, then you are hard capped 
mm-hmm. for the year. So you mm-hmm. got to be real careful if you're the Lakers in terms of how you uh, how you orchestrate that. Exactly, exactly. For a roster that probably will attract veteran buyouts, you know, all this other kind of stuff that you know you would want. I mean, it's it's very important not to get a hard cap for a team like that. Um, Houston, Houston is a unique scenario because, as you mentioned, there would be no sign in trade, presumably. Like, there's no need right. for a sign in trade. Like, sign in trade is, you know, you, um, you know, want to get some extra benefits. Like, let's say you want to give Fred an extra year, for example. You can, you can kind of sign a trade and orchestrate that way. Or but you can't, you can't even do that anymore. You can't do that anymore. No, so he can't, he can't get the, um, they, they closed this loophole a while back so that because guys were basically, you know, like the Chris Bosch situation, you're yeah, over a barrel. Uh, if you're the, if you're the Raptors, you have nothing. And so, yeah, you can give an extra year if you're the, the current team and uh, you can give like the Raptors can give a higher annual raise than another team could. So Fred, Fred can still get the most money with Toronto. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but that's yeah. usually that applies. Like if you're talking max guys or guys that are getting close to the max, like yeah, yeah. if, if it's, you know, if Houston's offering four one twenty and the Raptors are offering, you know, four one ten, it doesn't really make a difference in those scenarios there. Um, right. Well, then in that case, then sign and trade basically is like you take back some of their salary that they were going to ship out to, to make that signing in the first place. Um, and again, Houston just doesn't need to do that. And so, I mean, I, it depends on how much Houston really wants to pay for Fred. I also think for Fred's perspective, like you would probably want to see at least what else Houston can accomplish in free agency, right? Like yep. you're not just, I don't know if Fred wants to join Houston and then just be like the only guy to join Houston. You know what I mean? Like the current scenario obviously isn't that appealing. They do They're have ch- 61 million. In cap space, assuming sure. no James Harden. Sure. So they could definitely pair him up. So, I mean, I don't know. Like, if, if you're Fred and it's like, hey, I'm I'm coming here with Dylan Brooks, is that moving you? Because that would not move me beyond the money. Like, the, the, the Dylan Brooks part would not move me. Uh, what The money might move me, but Dylan Brooks would not move me. You know what I mean? Yeah. And then, so, I mean, like, yeah, that's, that's one where like it, maybe it has to be higher than Dylan Brooks and it's another team. So it's like Brooke Lopez. Like, it's not, it's not a very good free agent class is the other thing. Yeah. And like, you can obviously take someone's money on in trade, but you're generally not doing, that's usually a salary dump move, not a win now move. Yeah. Um. So I don't know, like even something like I, I have gotten cooler on the player over the year, but like the, Houston not getting involved in the John Collins thing, for example, when they have mm. all the cap space in the world is like, and, and I know he doesn't fit the timeline. They have some power forwards, whatever, but that's the type of move you see teams with a ton of cap space. Yeah. Doing. Utah, by the way, still has about 28 million in cap space. And they've, they've come after Fred a couple times. Interesting. Different front office, hmm. but yeah, very different front office. I guess I just haven't even considered it. Um, They do have an opening up point guard, I suppose. Yeah, I mean, right now, Taylor Horton Tucker would start a point guard for them. Listen, if a sign and trade brings back Taylor Horton Tucker, you have a size rubbing his hands together, man. Yeah. The number well, of times the Fred and Kyle linked. parallels finally come together. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, yeah, this conversation is dark. Okay. Yeah. Um, I, again, I think, needless to say, like none of this is super appealing because to me, my concern is okay, um, if you let Fred walk, then who is a replacement for Fred, right? Who is going to run point for you? I already feel like. In the scenario here where um, the Raptors lose Fred Van Vliet, um, you you have to keep, like have somebody at point guard. Like none of the existing options on the roster to me are appealing in the slightest. Probably the most appealing is like we go full Vision Six Nine and and mm-hmm. go Scotty and Pascal running point um, for forty eight minutes with maybe like 
a token backup point guard coming in once in a while, like a Jeff Down or like a Malachi or like a Delano. By the way, Jeff Down went through like a 30-minute workout in the back while Grady Dick was just getting the intro yeah. yesterday. It was great, man. This guy's working on his step-throughs, pivot foot moves, all that kind of stuff. So good for Jeff Down, but <laughs> realistically, like that would be he, be like 10, 15 minutes of that and, and just a lot of Scotty and Pascal. I mean... My assessment of that is that doesn't seem like a winning formula currently. Like, I think you actually need diversity of skill set. You definitely need a lot of guys to be able to drive the ball. I mean, like, I understand Dark was going to come in and bring 0.5 basketball and all that kind of stuff. But realistically, y- you could look at something like, for example, Fred drove like 15 times a game last year. Um, and even though he's very small and didn't finish well at the basket for the, I don't know, ninth straight year or whatever it is he's been in the league, um, you still need somebody to, you know, penetrate from the three-point line, get into the paint, and then cause a couple of things to happen. I don't think you could just realistically shift that extra workload and divide it among Pascal, who's already one of the league leaders and drivers, or into a guy like Scotty, who last year only drove like five times a game, which is a little disappointing to me. But ultimately, like I don't see that as an internal option that's valid in terms of being competitive. I want to hear your thoughts, though. Is there an internal replacement if Fred just walks? No, I don't think so. And like, even if you believe in 0.5 basketball and really want to see it, like having a point guard who can run pick and roll to create those initial advantages and scramble defense is really, really important. That's it. It's mm-hmm. a huge part of that is you, you the whole 0.5 philosophy in the half court requires a small advantage to be created somewhere. And then you turn that small advantage into a slightly larger one and a slightly larger one. But that first one has to be created. And without a, you know, a natural point guard and some pick and roll and some sets and things like that. Um, And there are other ways to do it. You know, Grady and Gary Trent off movement and Mm. DHO stuff through Scotty or or Pirtle or whatever. There are other ways. But not having a a natural pick and roll point guard makes that more difficult. Um, It's also even if you believe in, hey, let's have the ball in Scotty's hands a lot more. Well, guess who your best catch and shoot shooter was last year? It was Fred Van Fleet by the mm. end of the season. So um, right. there's also that element of it. Um, and uh, look, I, I I would be all for running through Scotty more, building some more offense out that way, seeing what you can do with it. But I think if that is the way you are planning to play and that is your succession plan for Fred Van Fleet, that is, you are, again, back to my earlier point about, like, you you can't replace him and still be in the run it back to win now thing. It's like, that gets even harder. Like, Scotty mm-hmm. being a, a semi-full-time point guard and seeing what's there developmentally is really cool. It's really fun. It'd be awesome to see what that looks like and get his skills going that way. But I think there would be, like, a pretty stiff learning curve for your half-court offense initially. And, like, that's even if, you know, he's putting in awesome work in the lab this summer and all those things, it's... uh you can't go from you did that two minutes a game last year to you're doing that 30 minutes a game this year without a a bit of a learning curve. So I think that's, that's more a scenario where if you were going to, if Fred walks and then you're like, you know what, let's revisit the Pascal trade scenarios and things like that. Then that would be a more reasonable thing to me. I think. Well, even the Pascal trade scenarios, I think, I mean, look, um, Atlanta was definitely interested but the centerpiece would have been like a John Collins plus pick kind of thing. John so, Collins has moved on. Except that deal can't be official until July 6th. So there is room because of okay. some cap scenarios and stuff. There is the potential for like, say Fred tells you July 1st, I'm out. You could then, you know, think hard about it. And if you decided to go down that path, you could get involved in that in a way that, you know, Hey, John Collins goes here and Pascal goes here and this other piece goes here. Like you can expand yeah, that okay. deal. Um, you know, I think Raptors fans would probably 
prefer not John Collins. You probably, I don't know, DeJounte Murray, even though he has less term left on his deal, or whatever. But the big thing is going to be what kind of prospects and picks you get in that scenario anyway. So yeah. I wouldn't be as worried about who the anchor piece is salary wise as I am of like you putting Griffin and Buffkin both on the table. Like that's the kind of. Yeah, that's, that's more of a swing piece to me. I still think that like for a guy like Masai, like that just doesn't seem like. I mean, maybe it's the most prudent move, but at the same time, yeah. it's like there's no headliner coming back for you. Like you no, and st- there's no track record of him doing this, right? Like exactly. other than the yeah. the the 2013 trade that accidentally made them good. Yeah, and even the Jazante Murray thing, my understanding with that is just there will be other logistical hurdles that may dissuade the Raptors from making that kind of trade. So, yeah. um. Yeah, I mean, I, I think in terms of the internal options, um, going back to that idea, like, I, I mean, again, like, just, I would want to see further moves. Like, I would love to, I, I just You'd think that to. you you would need to bring in someone else. And maybe you, you don't bring in another star point guard. Maybe you, you settle for, like, okay, we're bringing back Cole Anthony in a sign and trade, theoretically, with Orlando. Or, like, we're theoretically bringing back D'Angelo Russell, who was in Toronto over the weekend working out. Although, my understanding is his girlfriend's from Oakville or whatever. So, okay, cool. Um, but it's free agency time. So people were like, oh my God, what does this mean? You know, um, I think it just means that, you know, uh, GTA women are elite and that's I love, okay. Yes, that part <laughs> is accurate. I also, I love the idea that the Raptors who we just went through the whole thing of like, nobody knew their pick ahead of time on draft night. They're like, yeah. no leagues thing, but they'd be sloppy enough to one week <laughs> before free agency be so tampering with a free agent that they had him work out in a public tournament. Come on. <laughs> yeah. And, and and not to and to give no ambiguity at all. Out of all the uh, universities in Toronto, they chose the University of Toronto, not uh, not anywhere else. Um, but yeah, I mean, like I suppose you can go that way. Washington has a has a number of point guards that they've accumulated for some reason. By the way, I'm I'm seeing on the Zoom your cat. It just a just a just the nose of your cat, and now yeah, the ear. He loves attacking. The he loves attacking the webcam, and like right now, he's hanging his head over trying to look at you. This is like, this is amazing. Who is this guy? Yeah. Is this guy about to try to sell me on DeLon Wright? You know, I tried to do my usual cat call, but I realized you're using headphones. This is yeah. just stupid. I just cat called you. Sorry, Blake. I apologize. That's all right. Um, but in any case, yeah, like, because I'm looking at the, like, again, drives for game is just a big thing for me. Like, I, I mean, you could just look at pretty much any offense. Like, you're going to need to drive. Like, you can't just say, like, we're only going to do DHOs. And, like, you have to drive the ball. Like, it's period. There's no negotiating this. Fred loved the team last year at 13.9 drives per game. That was one of the top 15 marks in the league. Pascal was slightly behind him at 13.7. Scotty was third in the team at 6.7. To put that into comparison, OG Ananobi drove 6.4 times per game. Right? So it's a big gap. And I think that one of the struggles with this, and, and, and maybe this is just my understanding. I would love to hear your thoughts on it. But it's like, it's not quite like in baseball where you can sort of put a guy at the top of the order and they're guaranteed to hit more or swing more at the ball. I think in basketball, these skills are not that replicable. Like it's not realistic for me to say like, Oh, Fred's leaving the team with 14 drives. And if he walks, I want Chris Boucher to take another 10 drives per game. Like you can't just like take X and give it to, to the, and give that X to another player. And for that player to actually execute that, like there's an actual skill element that involves being able to do some of these things in the first place are not just sort of like given that you're going to have all these things like you would, for example, in baseball, where you can just have a guy go up to pinch hit or whatever. You can influence the opportunities. This is wholly different for me. So I guess my question is like, is there enough of a skill set that you've seen so far where Scotty can sort of do that or someone else on the roster realistically can handle an additional 14 drives per game or even an additional five, let's just say five more drives per game. 
five more drives per game and then you run a couple more post-ups and yeah, you work in some more DHO. But no, like if you lose that component of your offense, and this isn't this isn't even about Fred Van Vliet alone so much as the fact that it would be a roster without a point guard, except for Malachi Flynn. Like, like even if like any other team running into this scenario would be going through the same thing is like, you have to have someone who mm-hmm. can yeah. have that skill set. And, and again, I think that developmentally it's something worth expanding Scotty's role in for sure. But yeah, day one, like if your intention, if their intention is to try to win 50 games this year with Grady Dick and everyone's a little better and the vibes are better and all that stuff. It's just, it's really hard to see that working without Fred Van Vliet being a big part of it. He was there like, second most important offensive player last year. And that was up and down because heavy volume three-point shooters are going to do that and the injuries and everything, but there's not really any way around that. Like you can't, you can't just distribute that to guys that expect it to be like the same level of effectiveness. And that's like, that's especially scary given how bad the Raptors half court offense was, even with Fred, like being solid in it. (laughs) It's uh and then again, and just to go back to like, you know, the 0.5 and the free flowing basketball and stuff, and you could run more DHO, whatever. Again, you still need the initial advantage created. And that's where maybe, maybe Fred's not the guy to you. Maybe that's not the style of point guard, but then you would need to go out and put a premium on getting someone who can pressure the rim. Right. Because that's sure. the other yeah, thing yeah. is that this roster is lacking. And, and I don't think, I don't think you can be short on drives and pick and roll play and one-on-one rim pressure like you you can't just be short on all those things because all your big guys can pass that's the thing is you're short on all of it as is and you know you're essentially taking away one of your best options of doing it and again like you might say and i agree with this that like if fred's your best one of your best offensive creators that limits the overall effectiveness of your offense i have no doubts about that i completely agree but at the same time it's like how are you expecting to expand or even improve on that idea um if you again don't have it and this is not just like people defending fred or anything like that i'm just being realistic about the scenario who is going to be the replacement because i would love to see a replacement and and i honestly even if it's the replacement is like monty morris or whatever from the wizards and then you you have him and he plays 25 minutes or 30 minutes or let's best case scenario you get tyus jones from the wizards okay and then you know you run with that and then you have more reps for scotty and i feel feel comfortable with that i I can i can get behind that but if it's just Fred versus getting nothing or getting like a completely unproven nothing, it just it's just unlikely to me. You know, you, what I mean? you also don't want Scotty like only doing those things, right? Like that's, sure. yeah, yeah. that's the other it thing. It takes it's away like, from his strengths of like being around the basket, offensive rebounding, you know, playmaking out of the post. Like so, yeah. Yeah, it's it's a tough thing to do. So yeah, and this is part of you know, ideally you have a succession plan on the roster in the event that Fred goes, but this is some of the leverage Fred has here. It's yeah, like yeah. it's not just the other teams that offer it. It's like it. Con- I I don't know that Masai would believe this, and I don't know that he would blink. But Fred's camp could reasonably come to the table and be like, "Here's the number. Here are the other offers. I'd like to stay, but you got to meet that number because I know if I leave, your run it back plan it becomes pretty untenable." Sure, sure. But I mean, I also think from from Fred's perspective too is like, are, are we sure Fred even wants to return? You know what I mean? And I'm just like. I think Maybe, Fred, were yeah. you uh, you watched The Office, right? No, no, sorry. No, okay. Yeah. I'm I was not a community a big, guy. Not that they're comparable. Yeah, but, I'm not yeah. a big Office reference guy, but there is like one scene where it's like I value loyalty so much that I'm willing to go wherever they'll pay me the most for my loyalty. Mm. That's how I kind of feel about the Fred situation. I, I, yeah, I, I would love to be here, and if someone would pay me more to love to be there, 
then I'll be there. Hey, listen, I think that's that's the case for like, I don't know, 95% of NBA players. Um, but I'm also thinking in terms of just like, look, not only does Houston, like there's no state tax in in, in Texas. Um, they can pay you more. Most likely they're offering more than what Toronto is offering you. I wonder in terms of can you, if you're Toronto, you're coming to the negotiation table, or can you offer them more term? Let's say Houston offers you a two-year kind of boat payment. That was sort of an idea that we floated with with Jake last uh, last week. Um, maybe Toronto comes with three years, and maybe you 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 can balance that aspect of it. Maybe you're just like, look, listen, I don't want to disrupt my family just for two years, where I have no permanency in that kind of place. That's one aspect. I also think other aspect, and honestly, you tell me if I'm uh, just completely just like way too online about this. All right, just be just be. Uh, who was her name again? R- Rava? Yeah, just be Rava and tell me I'm too online, okay? But, like, if you're Fred VanVleet and you see the reaction around what happened around you this season, and let's be completely honest about it, one player has taken more hits for what has happened with the Raptors this year overwhelmingly than any other player, and it's Fred. Do you even want to stay based on that? I'm not, and I'm not saying that, like, oh, he got cyberbullied online, and so no. therefore he's leaving. But, I mean, would you not read that into the tea leaves a little bit or at least understand, I mean, sort of read the room and be like, look, maybe I'm not even that liked here in the first place, so why am I even staying? So I don't, I don't think it would be a huge thing. I think it would erode a little bit of that, like, you know, if you thought you want to be a Raptor for your career and all that stuff. Like, it's honestly, it's, it's a pretty – it's a pretty good – come around that pascal feels that way and his camp leaks that stuff about wanting to be here forever and stuff given how he was treated not that long ago either right Mm -hmm. Uh, i think that stuff is not that permanent and i think fred is also savvy enough to know that if he goes somewhere else and he's the marquee free agent signing for a team that same kind of stuff is going to happen if the play is up and down and stuff like that i I think that that's you know especially if you're talking about one of the more competitive environments he could go to maybe the rockets are just so rebuilding and so far away it doesn't happen there and utah's seven fans don't have like i think ben (laughs) dowsett is the only one of them that has twitter um so like that's uh maybe it's a little different there but Uh yeah if you like end up on the lakers or i don't know you're the the piece that's supposed to help the Kings get over the next hump or whatever that, that mm-hmm. kind of stuff comes with the territory. Once you get into the 25, $30 million range, I think that is what the money is for. And Fred did say at a season ending press conference, I think Vivek asked him about it. And uh, he was like, essentially like, what is cyberbullying? You can turn off your laptop or you can turn off your phone. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I, I get that to some degree, but again, I, I think if he reads the room, even a little bit, um, it, it's an unfriendly one. And again, somehow- I'm sure he doesn't love it. I'm absolutely sure he doesn't love it. Why do you think he's like shut down most of his social medias essentially yeah. for the year? So anyway, um, we can move on to Jakob Pertl, who um, is also obviously in for a new contract. Um, okay. The Jakob Pertl market to me is a little bit more confusing because I'm like, I think 20 million is completely fair value for what he does. Um, I feel like the Raptors should have already talked this over with Yak, And that, this should be to me a scenario where he doesn't have to take any meetings and signs pretty much on June 30th or whenever free agency opens this year. Do you agree? Uh, with that? I agree with that. If the number is lower than 20, I think 20 is uh pretty high for what the center market looks like. Okay. And I don't okay. like, I I'm very fond of Jakob Pertl. Mm. I know there's an element of, even though we can't fall to the sunk cost fallacy, like there's an element of you just gave up a first round pick uh, to get him and stuff like that. But there is, you know, a tier of center that commands that kind of money and then a tier of center where 
you start to get uncomfortable about it. So that would make him the 12th highest paid center in the league. That now, so, some of that is, yeah, the cap's also gone up a bunch. So can you really compare it to, you know, a Miles Turner deal that he signed before the cap jump, Clint Bell, whatever, Vooch. Um, I will say, though, there are a lot of centers in the, like, mid-tier salary range that looked like good values at first. And then every team kind of comes around to, yeah. oh, yeah, you pay a center a lot or, or like, you can cobble it together. Now, I think Raptors fans are probably on tilt a little bit of having gone through an era of having no centers. Yep. Um. I, I just, I guess where I'm at with this is like, we just went through the possible suitors for Fred Van Bleet, and you can go through those same cap space teams with Yaka Pertle and sign and trades are still possible here, but I, I don't know where the four year $80 million offer is coming from for, for Yaka Pertle is the thing. So I think in leverage terms, like, would he really balk at three years, 55? That gets him a little north of 18 million per, and you can structure it so that it's only like a 17 million hit for this year. Yeah, with Escalade. Yeah. Like, that sounds like a reasonable deal to me that Pirtle would probably have to be really aggressive to try to find elsewhere. And the Raptors might be comfortable with that number. It saves them a, a little bit of extra space here. Tw- 20 seems a little high for me on Pirtle. No, that's fair. Okay. Um, I, I think my question is like, why, why are we hearing much news about Pirtle at all? Or much noise around Pirtle at all? Cause I, I feel like if it was a scenario where the Raptors had this conversation with them prior to trading for him, which they will never admit to publicly, but they definitely did. Um, you know, then the agent wouldn't have the incentive to be like, "Hey, let's let's like sniff around and push and see what else, what what other if we can get an extra mil or two I mean, out of the deal." It's also a pos- don't underestimate the possibility though that Jakubertel was excited about returning and then was like, like here i'll use a community one for you yeah troy, uh troy coming back from getting the pizzas and the room's on fire like yeah, what yeah. the hell happened to the raptors that i knew that's and fair messiah and bobby and darko can do the sales job on how things will be different this Don't year you. and i'm sure Jakob will engage with that and stuff it's like a lot that. on but, darko's plate man Damn. right but there i'm just saying like you could like yeah. one of the reasons you can't do that is i mean there are tampering rules but also like as Jakob pertle and Jakob pertle's camp you probably wouldn't want to do that blind anyway. So yeah, yeah, any agreement is like, I don't know. And I'm not saying he like, he had a three year, 45 million deal ready to go. And then he was like, this place sucks now. Give me 15 million more. <laughs> but like your pen's not the yeah. paper until your pen's the paper, you know? Yeah, no, that's fair. That's fair. No, I, I don't know. I Maybe I just always assumed that Yak was, it's, it was already sorted. And Yak seemed like such a no, like low fuss, as low fuss as an NBA player can get. Like Yak Aperto literally hoops in white. Uh, hyperdunks like generic white hyperdunks that you can go to Foot Locker today yeah. and purchase for $130 like you know what I mean like that and, and I just always assume that like that's sort of the player that he would be I don't think that's necessarily untrue but I mean yeah I mean look listen you, you the figure that you're sort of citing right now you know give, making them around the 12th highest paid center like I mean just to do a quick exercise you have like MVPs that you're pretty comfortable paying the max to in Embiid Jokic and I would put AD in this category just based on how good AD was for the course let's come on the AD is in this list okay so that's the MVPs I would say max players in terms of players like making around the max just based on past negotiations or, or whatever but you, you got like a Bam Adebayo who honestly might even nudge in between in terms of he might be on the top tier with this mm-hmm. list Sabonis, who's not making the max yet, but I think that, uh, you know, he's obviously playing at an all-star level. He should be like that. Cat is currently a max player and honestly has the talent to be an MVP level player if he really, you know, was un- a serious player by any means. Chris Hasperzingas, Rudy Gobert, DeAndre Eaton. Like, honestly, most of the players I'm looking at this list, 
you can maybe debate one or two, but like they're all pretty much better to me than Jakob Rodel. Right. Right. Chris where Tapps, where I it will starts debate. to get interesting is like the guys in the high teens, early twenties, yeah. right? Well, those are the guys that I'm looking at right now. Vucevic, who I believe is was paid close to the max in his last deal. Um, but I don't think he's gonna get that in this upcoming deal. Miles Turner, who just got extended, uh Jared Allen, who signed a deal recently, Brooke Lopez, who's up for free agency, he's much older than the rest of these guys, Clint Capella. Robert Williams, like, you know, we're in that kind of tier. And I feel like if Jakob ended up in this kind of tier of great starter, which is essentially like, you know, between 17 and 20 million per year, I think you're pretty happy with it because, you know, you can rely on him to start, but also he's not going to be a star player for you. And there's no expectations for him to be that. Yeah. Like the guys he'd be getting paid a little bit more than are like Naz Reed, Christian Wood, Daniel Gafford. Uh, he's definitely Wendell better than Carter. those guys. Right. And that's yeah. the tier of guy below him. So I think, yeah, like I think he's clearly in that second chunk of guys we talked about. I just yeah. don't, again, with the who needs a center and who has the cap space to aggressively get him. That's and fair. sure, you can believe the Spurs smoke screen of we'd like to have him back. <laughs> we want good vets around and stuff. Also, How many first round picks do you want from us? It would man? be San so Antonio, funny. Come on. Yeah, I can't wait to hear the news that the Raptors traded a first round pick just for the Spurs to not sign Jakob now. Um, uh, but yeah, like it, it's that and that kind of deal is never going to hamstring you, right? Like, sure. Even if, you know, it doesn't work and you want to turn around and trade him, Jakob Pertl at his age on like a 17 to 20 million dollar contract is going to be very tradable, too. It's just a matter of, you know, I do think as much as Masai and Bobby have always wanted to reward their guys and they haven't quibbled with guys down to the dollar when they're free agents. And I think that that's, you know, a credit to them if they can make work. This is a year where the numbers on the cap sheet mean you probably got to haggle over, you know, the last million or two a little bit more than they have historically. That's fair. That's fair. I'm, I'm pretty confident. Yeah. Returns. Um, I'm probably like more 50, 50 on Fred in terms of just like the likelihood of he returning, yeah. you know? Um, but uh, that's the sort of scenario there. So Gary opted in. There is this potential talk of like, maybe they'll revisit an extension. To be honest, that sounds like an agent kind of level speak. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. So he's opting in. However, he's opting in because now there's a possibility of an extension. Because as you notice, when the, when the news broke and it was Chris Haynes who got the first report and then Grange also built on it. But they both mentioned that it was sort of Rich Paul sort of has informed them that, you know, the options getting picked up and that there was a possibility they'll discuss extension. That sounds to me on the outside, like not necessarily the Raptors are, that's the plan for the Raptors to extend him right now because he, he opts in now he's been three years of service time, blah, blah, blah. Um, the, it sounds more like an agent being like, it's not because he couldn't get no money on the free agency deal. It's because of this. Is that your read on it as well? Yeah, kind of. Or like, Hey, we'd like, we believe in what we're hearing here and we'd like to have a different year to be the year we hit the market not a okay, year where yeah. three point percentage was the only skill that stood out so um, i think there's a little bit of both i don't i'd be a little surprised at an extension right now just because first of all sure, if you, there's a lot of money right now that's already like it, we're talking about the squeeze right now the squeeze yeah. actually really happens next summer yeah and if you extend him you also can't trade him for six months so you know that takes gary trent jr off the table for trades basically not you could move him at the deadline, but like as an off season thing, it's yeah. off the table then. And then for anyone who's curious, extended trade rules are changing in the new CBA, but still probably not enough where Gary would be down for it. Like he would make 22.2 million in the first year of a, of an extension. Maybe that's enough if he gets three years, but I don't know that, mm. you know, I, it didn't like some people ask me is like, Oh, is the, did he do this? So he could get traded somewhere else. And I was like, 
I mean, I think no. if you if you could get to the Lakers and keep the clutch family going, maybe. But um, no, I think this is probably primarily like I think they've t- kicked around an extension. They know trades are possible. This is mostly he didn't have a very great free agent walk year. Yeah, no, exactly. And, and you know, Nick being gone, I feel like was part of the reason why Gary struggled with that. I mean, again, like you, you benched the guy twice in uh, a contract year and we'll say what you want. I mean, look, listen, you're the coach, right? Um, But if you don't win with that happening, you are kind of just screwing a guy. Now, of course, again, it's again, you're the coach. So you have all the choices and you're disposable. But I mean, like with him walking and also him having, a, you know, not the greatest contract year. Like if Gary won into free agency after what he did last season, I think he probably would have found the money he, he probably would have wanted this season. Not so much. Right. So, you know, he stays. But yeah, I, I do think it's a little bit unlikely they, they reach that extension this offseason. Um, because, again, you, you look forward to the next offseason. Pascal, you know, will probably re-up at the max. I don't think Supermax is on the table for him from from the Raptors. But also at the same time, he would need to make all NBA. Um, you know, we'll see if he makes that that list um he already struggled with it this year um and then og it, look if you're not going to trade og after all this interest in og then you're pretty much committed yourself to signing him long term and what's and that going to look like man 30 million is that going to be 30 for og well it's also become way harder to predict now that he left clutch right like everything sure. is operated under the well there's clutch and there's gary and fred and og so there's some like negotiating leverage there and they right. might all be on the same page and now it's like i don't know do you take this as my first like my snap reaction to it was, well, yeah, OG maybe didn't like being at an agency where they're so leaky and stuff is coming out about OG all the time. Mm, like, I, okay. I wonder if he didn't like that, but also like, was he misaligned or, or was clutch misaligned with, with what he's looking for and stuff? Um, You know, has but, there been, by the way, it seems like his agent has also just left clutch. Right. So yeah. yeah. It's Omar, right. Who he's been yeah, with. Omar Wilkes. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, he was with Omar prior to joining clutch. Omar joined clutch. So OG joined clutch. And then I believe right. Omar has left to head up fanatics or something like that. Right. He might right. be out the game. Like, yeah. Unless OG's just going to be represented by low quality hats and jerseys and, you know, <laughs> unless they become a podcast sponsor, in which case I, I love their product offerings. Um, no, so Yo, the OG is, thing is Fanatics Canadian DH gate is or um, American DH gate. Is that is that essentially what it is? Well, basically, they've they've now got like a monopoly on stuff. OK, all right. All right it's, cool. uh, yeah, it's it's not it's not awesome. Um, so right. the OG thing, I mean, he's the one. He's probably the guy around basketball who's most affected by the change in extension rules where he can now get a number that makes sense to me Mm -hmm. on paper. It's not going to be 30 million. If he thinks he can develop into a max guy at some point and get that, then it's not going to be on extension. It's just not good. The number, the math's not going to work out that way. And I think any team would want to see it before they, they pay him that much anyway. But I do think like, like what's his, uh, his, so he could get, if, if he, so October 1st, he can sign an extension, opt out of next year's deal, and then he can sign a deal starting at $26 million. I, I don't think you need Bro, to go as high as... that's pretty good, man. I, and I don't think that's... I don't think you go as high as 26 for him, but it opens up such a wider band, right? Where, yeah. like, right now, the most he could get an... Ex- or prior CBA, the most he could get an extension, it's an automatic no from him. Yeah, and yeah. at least now you have, like, a little bit of room to negotiate within and get an... Un- like. It's almost like, do you remember back when Norm was an RFA coming off of his two-year or yeah. his three-year deal? And it was basically like, well, Norm could probably wait it out and make more in free agency, but the Raptors have the ability because of those extension rules to be like, we are offering you every dollar we can 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a team friendly deal, but this is the most we're allowed to offer you. Yeah. Um, and because of that, that helped, you know, that helped that deal go, go along. Sure. This opens up a little bit more of that where the Raptors maybe don't go every dollar, but they're like, look, the extension rules suck. Look at how much we're offering you yeah. and we couldn't before. And now we're offering you more than we could have before. I don't know. I think it helps optics and relationship wise. Um, fascinated to see how that one plays out. Yeah. Messiah walks in the room. He's like, Hey, listen, man, don't blame me. Blame Grant Williams. All right. Yeah. <laughs> blame CJ McCollum. Next time you see them, you know what yeah. I mean? Like block their shot or something. No, yeah. I mean, 26 for OG, I think real makes sense. I, I, and I think maybe the confusing thing is just like, there seems to be this like bullish feeling of, just a new TV contract is going to come in. That's going to uh, really bump up the cap once again. You already seen gambling money filter into the, the the league's BRI, so you can only see that expanding, right? And so it seems like any deal you sign now will be a good deal in the future because the cap's going to explode and maybe double. But then I'm looking at the the scenario this year, and based on the new CBA, it seems like instead it's gone the other way, where everyone's just sort of like, "Ooh, I don't really know." Like I I think. We gotta we gotta be a little careful. We gotta salary dump, you know, Jordan Poole. Although that could be just a personal issue that I'm not wouldn't be so too surprised. Now, but, so you know what I mean? So some of some of that is about the um is more about how strict the luxury tax penalties are gonna be. Like okay, the Jordan yeah. Poole the Jordan Poole thing is more about like, oh my god, a guy like Jordan Poole after taxes after luxury tax is right. going to call us cost us just an insane amount of money. He's there, Sam Decker. Is yeah. Yes, yeah. basically. Um, the other thing to keep in mind, and this is like from a from a fan perspective of like what does this money actually mean, is that the like the cap has gone up thirty seven percent since two thousand nineteen. So okay. like you have to like Fred Van Bleet's if Fred gets thirty million a year on this deal, that mm-hmm. is the equivalent in twenty nineteen dollars of him getting twenty two million. Still a lot of money, obviously, but in terms of how much of the cap you take up, it has risen so quickly that like it's a little bit like 2016, where obviously the Mozgov deal and deals like that were comically yeah. bad. But we all had to kind of take a year of like, oh, this is what the new cap environment is yeah, looks yeah. like. This is what 30 million means now. This is what 18 million means now. So there's a little bit of that, too, with like even OG getting 26 is like, OK, by next year. That might not be a lot of the cap. Like the cap could go up another ten percent next year. We don't know. Yeah. Oh, trust me. I don't. I. I think most of our audiences in Canada, especially in uh, southern Ontario, I don't think we have to explain to them too much in terms of what inflation looks like. You know. Yeah. I had to. Uh, had to tell my. Had to tell one of my grandparents about uh, the price of eggs now just normally being like roughly four dollars. And I'm yeah. like, you know, when I was in you know university, I would go to shoppers and I would spend two dollars and get twelve eggs. And you know this is this is normal. And now we, I we go, I don't we go know to shoppers and it's probably like four fifty. Having been it's still a, twelve eggs. Having been a university student that did not have a lot of money and had to work multiple jobs and stuff yeah. like that, I don't know how I do it now. I, I genuinely be, don't. Well, man. I'm actually do. really afraid of my brother, but that's I do. Thing. But it would be not stuff that I want to admit to publicly on a podcast. Is what mm. I'd be doing. You know. Okay. All right. You tell, but you tell only me, for, you, mean, you mean blogging, blogging for money. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. No, I mean honestly, it's it's kind of dire. No, it really is. But I I do think that the inflation of the cap thing is it's something that people will have to sort of get wrap their minds around. Um, and it's it's on us as a media a little bit too. I think I think it would be probably helpful if like obviously agents are always going to report the dollar amounts because that's what moves the needle and that's the mm-hmm. real money. But like you know, even my cap sheets and stuff like that that I put out like at some point I might just I need to start putting those in terms of like percentage of the cap because mm, that's right. what that's really how you compare 
you know, this deal to that deal and stuff like that. Yeah, it's like talking like a team's points per game versus like their offensive rating at this yeah, point. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, right. Okay. Um, okay, so I guess circling back on this whole conversation, what's the realistic scenario? Like, what can we offer Yak and Fred on their respective deals that works with the Raptors luxury tax and that, you know, they may be amenable to? Like, what's so- the scenario look like? So the numbers that I used in my when I I did a you know a, an update of my cap primer at Sportsnet the night of the draft just to mm. like hey here's what the numbers look like with Gary in and we know they didn't move the pick and things like that. Yep. If you gave Jakob Pertl three years, fifty five million. Okay. So I don't know a, a little north of eighteen million a year. Yep. And you gave Fred four years, one hundred twelve million. So not the four years one twenty that's been out there, but a pretty good deal still. And you backloaded those deals as much as you're allowed. Sure. You can make the numbers work without trading anyone away. That seems fairly realistic, man. Like, I mean, not, not okay. It depends if Houston comes over the top, but yeah, I don't, I don't see the incentive for Houston to come over the top. Even and if it's has 61 squeeze, million. Like, like if they want to sign three free agents, you can't give Fred 40 or no, 35 even. You know no, what I mean? And I don't, and like it, and that's the thing is like, if they whiff on other free agents, they can give Fred whatever they want because like, you can't, you can't take caps. It's not like you can roll it into the next year and there's like a long-term effect, but, Still, you just like, okay, we'll front load it and then like the cap will go up next year and no matter. Like they can do that. But yeah, there's a line at which, you know, for Fred competitively, for the Rockets strategically, Mm -hmm. you know, where does the number make sense? So I don't know. I'm sure Fred would love a nice round like 30 mil a year. And then if you if you're going to go to four years, 120 with him instead to make that happen, then it means you're shaving a little somewhere else. You negotiate a little tighter with Jakob or you find a home for auto porter jr or something like that like it it's all it's all workable but the tough thing is for a team that lacked depth last year and i like grady dick i think he's gonna fit in everyone knows how i feel about jeff Doughton jr as a back-end rotation guy i mean he was working last night he was working man while grady was taking photos my man jeff was in the background working with jim sand and just working on his pivots you know be an awesome bit of like in the background of every draft pick and every free agent signing this year every summer league scrum and stuff like that if he just like shows up in every single one of them. He's always working out in the background. That's what's happening, man. Yeah. It's the same thing with the Darko presser. Like, you know, Jeff is Jeff is making his presence known. I don't think yeah. he's left Toronto. I really don't think so. Huge Blue Jays fan, obviously. Got to get yeah, him on Jays Talk Plus man. at some point. Yo, get Jeff Downton uh, Jr. On, oh, my goodness. Anyway, yeah. so where, what I was going to say, though, is like for a team that lacked depth last year, even if you like the young guys to get better, the system to be better, you add Grady Dick in there. When you start getting into cap scenarios and offseason scenarios where you are giving guys away mm-hmm. to create cap flexibility, it's a tough thing to swallow as a no, team that sure. already isn't starting from a point of terrific depth. Like Otto Porter Jr. is one thing because like as much like we all like the Otto Porter Jr. signing. It was a swing. This is one of the outcomes of the swing. Like, and it, it was really a swing is. at six million dollars. Exactly. Like, yeah. Not a lot. Yeah. If you if you end up trading that away, sure. Chris Boucher, though, a guy you've found and developed and built and means a lot to the community and stuff like that, if you end up giving him away just for cap flexibility, like that's the kind of thing that even if you have all the power forwards in the world, like asset management wise, it's tough. And just like, I don't know, like Boucher's uh, been a big part of the fabric. Like, I, I just it's hard to give guys away unless it's to like make a big splashy move, not just to run it back. Yeah, well, that one would be like, can you balance out the roster? Can you trade a, a big slash wing into right. a guard, right? Yeah. And and I wouldn't mind that. But I mean, again, could you like, turn him into like uh, Tyus Jones is aiming too high, but could yeah. you turn him into Delon? Sure. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. yeah. 
It's I, I'd imagine DeLon's going to be sick, man. He's going to be like, I got to back up Fred again. That's why I asked out last time. Yeah. No, no, but he was third string last time is why he, he didn't oh, want okay, to. He, well, he, was, he was backing up Fred, okay. backing up Kyle, you know? Well, regardless, I mean, whatever. I mean, DeLon, DeLon would be sick. I mean, I, I really like DeLon, obviously. Yeah. But maybe you can figure back. out a Monte Morris thing where, you know, yeah, the, sure, the Raptors sure. aren't in a position to be giving away draft assets, but yeah. we, know, we know that they are comfortable doing that, so... Well, exactly. So, you know, that kind of deal would make a little bit of sense. I believe you might save a little bit of money on that kind of thing as well. But yeah, realistically, like the roster kind of is as is like, you know, you've, you you swapped out the coach, you brought in Grady. Don't really envision based on all the things that we're talking about here that the Raptors are going to use any mid-level or any exceptions because we're already again, we're already sort of bargaining for every dollar at this point. And, and if they do, you almost have to mentally like if you remember back to um, the Corey Joseph year, right? Like they mm. they traded what do they do? They kind of sign and traded for Corey and, but, and they unloaded Damari all as kind of one package of, right. of moves all at once. Yep. Like you'd almost have to look at it like that where yes, you're signing a guy to the mid level, but if you have to trade, trade, trade away Chris Boucher for next to nothing to do that, you're effectively trading Chris Boucher for whoever you sign yep. for that mid level. So you kind of have to think of it that way. Oh, that's fair. That's fair. I, I believe we got CJ Miles in that sort of whole yes, roundabout that, thing. That's what it was. Yeah. Is Corey Joseph out, CJ Miles in. Yeah. I mean, hey, that 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 worked out. I mean, oh like I, I would love to why? Why why I just saw I just saw Alec Manoa's line. He made he made his first minor league start today. What was it? He gave up eleven runs and didn't get out of the third inning. Jeez, what is this? The Jays in the playoffs? No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm oh. kidding. Let's talk about let's talk about the blue Jays. He's baby. wild card ready. Oh, come on. Yeah, okay. So, okay, what's what's going on? Should I buy into the Blue Jays season at this point? I mean, Is- they're fine, man. Like they're going to make a while. like they're even though they haven't played very great baseball, they're in a wild card spot. They've they've lost Manoa and just like kind of kept going. Like they they've missed a lot of opportunities to be better and to have a more comfortable place, but like they're probably going to make the playoffs and mm. they're just I don't know, the baseball playoffs are weird. You kind of just Yeah. It's not quite as extreme as hockey where like you could get a hot like Bobrovsky can just roll you to the to the Stanley Cup finals, but it is a little bit about like baseball's kind of random and stuff. Mm. So, I don't know. Like on merit, they're like like the equivalent of an NBA 5 seed where it's okay. like yeah, maybe right. maybe you win around and like weirder things have happened, but probably you're not too excited about their title chances the way things look right now. Okay, so from my understanding and by that, I mean, I went to a Jays game like a month ago and I looked at the standings at that point. I was like, wow, Tampa Bay's really running away with the whole thing. Okay. Um, outside of Tampa being great, are, are, there, are the Jays meeting expectations or is this below expectations? Like, where would you sort of assess based on that? No, the Jays have underperformed a little bit. Okay. And, and like, you can look to. Is that the like, Pats or is that the, is that, is that the gloves? I mean, they've, they've well, hit fewer know, home runs. They'd hit fewer home runs than you'd expect. Like Vlad until this past weekend was on pace for like. 19 home runs and he's hit 48 in the past like okay like your best hitter and the guy who you expected to be your best pitcher have underperformed vlad's still been solid but like not mvp level vlad not major contract extension vlad he's just been like regular good and i saw someone on the timeline say he's been he's been um slugging like john mcdonald and i was like oh that's not good yeah, he is not until this weekend. He was not hitting for much power, which yeah. is troubling. But okay. like, yeah, your best hitters underperformed, and your best pitcher is literally in the minor leagues right now, giving up eleven runs. That's, I mean, Gosman was always the best pitcher, but Manoa got the opening day start. Yeah, so. yeah, for sure, for sure. I get it, I get it. I mean, he was on how hungry are you, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Um, 
I mean, what what's the exciting storyline from this year? Like, you know, I saw Chris Bassett throw pitches. I didn't realize he had eleven pitches. That's kind of yeah, cool. Eight different ones. Um, like there are a couple like that, exciting yeah. things. Like like Gosman could legitimately have a case for the Cy Young, like the pitcher of the okay. year award. Right, um, yeah. Kikuchi and Barrios are both having like arguably their best seasons. Okay. Um, okay. Kikuchi's been like a revelation. Like he. Oh man, I love he's, it. He leads the league in giving up home runs and has still been really good. We got um, we got Kikuchi and Dick in the same city. Yeah, it's uh, it's great. Um, no, I think honestly, Sorry, the man. the biggest reason for optimism would be like they really haven't played super good baseball yet, and they're still yeah. in the playoff spot. And like, I okay. don't know. it's hard to get crazy optimistic if Alec Manoa is going to look like this, but yeah, right. they're they'll be fine-ish. Um, any is anyone breaking out on the on the side of the bats? Because I feel like you know, there's just not. I don't know. Not really. Everyone's kind of just been like who you like guys have okay. had hot, like Matt Chapman was the best hitter in baseball in April. And then he's really cooled off. Kevin okay. Kiermeyer had a really nice stretch and he's cool. The one guy, I guess like. Isn't Bo it, having a nice season? Is he Bo is, but nice like year? we've always thought Bo was really good. Okay. So fair, fair, fair. It's not a, yeah. it's not anything crazy. Danny Jance is the one guy that like for oh, a couple man. years now, he keeps in small samples looking really good, but catchers get hurt all the time. So you never really know. But I think he's like legitimately a good a good hitter and yeah okay and like so he's he's not like a young guy at this point or anything but he's someone to be fun about I don't know is this okay well first off I was I was there the one game that I mentioned that I went to um uh, that was the one where Danny Jansen hit a walk off I nice. think in the bottom of the ninth or something like that nice. so that was sick um but my other question is is this the most casual baseball conversation you've had no. on record no, no. okay no. all right. I don't know. I, I went to the game Friday. I had some friends in town from Vancouver who were like not baseball fans at all and just yeah. like wanted to go. And yeah. yo, I will have to say as a casual baseball observer, like in the um, in the building, obviously, number one, like it just looks a lot nicer than before. This is not just us as Rogers employees. This is my personal opinion. OK, it, it did look a lot nicer, especially when you're looking out at the outfield or whatever. And I think the number two thing is just the pitch clock really does make it like way more snappy. Like I actually the, the enjoyment of the product is great. And I'm sure for someone who has to work all the games. It's it's got to be a godsend for you because I could not imagine if the Raptors played six times a week and every game was like three hours and fifteen minutes. Yeah, plus it's pre been, and post game, like that would be insane to me. But it's been cool. It's um and like I don't think it takes anything away from the game. Like it's yeah. it they cut out all the like the nonsense stuff of throwing over to first base five times and like wandering around the infield to catch your breath and that stuff. Like they you really haven't lost anything. I do wonder a little bit if like the big moment tension that we felt like in the world baseball classic and yeah. big, big playoff moments and stuff like that. If that feels a little bit rushed come playoff time, but I think that's like, we'll figure it out when we get there. And it's also like a worthwhile thing because I don't know, I've talked to a lot of friends too, who brought like their kids to games mm -hmm. and it's like, it's a way more manageable timeline for bringing your kids to games and stuff like that yeah. too. Um, you know, cutting that 20 minutes or 25 minutes off or whatever. Um, I don't know. I'm a big baseball fan. I'm never going to argue with like, there being a lot of baseball, but I do think it makes for like a better entertainment product in the yeah, current I mean, form. I, I think undoubtedly for the casual viewer, which honestly, realistically, that's probably what people are aiming for. Like if Rob Manford was designing rule changes, he'd be looking to like target me, a guy like me who's yeah. into sports, but doesn't really like have a team and is like kind of casually there. And it depends on my availability and that kind of stuff. Like this is actually a win for me, like clearly definitively. Um, yeah. How's, how's calling games and stuff, man? It's cool, man. It's it's hard. Like it's um. I yeah. mean, I think you know the kind of like prep and research that I put into my stuff. Of course, and it's of like, course. 
there's that element of it. It's also, you know, I've worked with Ben Wagner, who spent a lot of years doing the broadcast solo um, and works with, you know, when he works with a partner, it's like an ex player or someone like that. And I'm Mm. obviously not that. So, you know, what does my role look like next to him as a non former player versus, you know, when I do them with Ben Shulman, who's a little younger and it's a different style of broadcast. um, That's a little different. Honestly, the hardest part has been, um, and I don't know if I should share this, but whatever, but like, I'm brand new to it. I've done maybe 15 games and sometimes you're going to have a call you feel really good about. And sometimes you're going to have a call you feel less good about. Mm -hmm. And it's really, really hard to shake off a bad one. Like you can, it it, honestly, it made me feel a little bit for like what a player probably goes through trying to shake off a bad game and get ready for a game the next day when that mistake is still in your head. Like um, there was one, a couple Saturdays ago where I just, I could feel it as it was going that I just like, I didn't really have it. And there were a couple of times where I like stepped on Ben Shulman or like couldn't get out of my point before the pitch came and stuff like that. And I think it just like snowballed on me a little bit. Mm. And it was like, like obviously in like intellectually, I know I'm fairly new to it and it's like those ups and downs, those things are going to happen. But like, yeah, the, how difficult it was to just like, okay, got to flush it and like do another one the next day. That's probably been the hardest part. Yeah, I well, guess the, the answer to that would just be like, don't do bad ones, and then you don't have to worry about it. No, listen, I mean that's that's all part of the the growth process, and I think, I mean, for, first off, if anyone's tuned in to to, to again, you, you're doing color commentary occasionally, or not even occasionally, more than occasionally, let's just say. Yeah. Um, I think it'll end up around like thirty games for the season or something like that, maybe. Yeah, yeah. So you're you're doing like live commentary, which is exceptionally difficult from something like even just doing live radio versus doing podcasting like podcasting is so much easier than, than live radio i feel like uh, and this is just for the two of us who've started in podcasting then move up to radio and now you're moving to like the hardest version of radio which is the live broadcast like i think even just me watching it and tuning in you know like damn like it, it is really impressive seeing you know not only that you're able to sort of like translate across sports like nobody in the nobody in the world knows dj hog with two g's and a scouting report but also knows about um danny jansen and having like low-key a lot of power for a hitter if he can only <laughs> stay healthy or available or whatever like nobody really has that so you have that knowledge and i think that's already been proven just time and time again but this is a new skill set for you man and I, I think i honestly like i've been in the car sometimes you know like you know, that's typically when I will catch uh, Jay's on the radio. And like, you know, you sound great, man. So thanks, man. I th- I'm really impressed. I know you're overworked um, just in no, general. I, yeah, I, I mean, it's but, also like I want to get better at it. Right. So it's like, yeah. it's like, I don't know. I'm I'm sure like you catch your own. I, I know you don't really like listen to your own podcast back, but like you catch clips or whatever. And like, yeah, yeah. like, oh, I, I wish I could do this better. I want to do that better. And it's like, for sure, it's not out of like beating yourself up. It's like, no, I want to I want to be great at this. So. Yeah. yeah, but also, the confidence the confidence point is great though because it does remind me of like you know uh, to your point about sympathizing with the players sometimes in terms of having to sort of just let things roll off of you like you know to bring this conversation back to Grady Dick like um that was that was one of the things that Bill Self said that made me feel really good about him he's like yo this guy does not think about the last miss it's not that like he's not worried about mi- like he's like you know Dion Waiters but like he it doesn't affect him. And yeah, he's and that's willing like, to take the I, next 10 shots. So you got to have the same mentality, to, man. Yeah, we can go back to, you know, there's the some of the personality tests and profiles that teams try to do with players, right? And it's like, you know, the the bad example of it is Bargnani. The caliper where, like, test? Yeah, yeah, like he he aced this quarterback test and it's supposed <laughs> to be about like how well can you let stuff roll off of you and learn on the fly and like just move on to the next thing. But it's also like in some cases a proxy for just like, 
maybe you don't have the juice. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like if, if something rolls off you really easy, it's because you have like this great mental fortitude and confidence or like it just didn't register to you that well. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, so I don't know, but like, it's, it's also something where like, you know, I, I remember hearing about it with Norman Powell is like, one of the things you have to evaluate when you draft a guy in the second round and you're a win now team and he's a four-year senior from a major program is like how's he going to respond to being on the bench or going down to the 905 and stuff like that that's yeah you know, that's the that's why Marquis Knowles is going to be going to be so successful you know he'll just prove him with the 905 no man this guy gonna give me a Marquis Noel thing too I'm, I'm really happy that the Raptors took him just for oh, entertainment he's, purpose. He's going to be yeah. so much. And like, I don't. It's so easy to root for this guy. I yeah, swear. Just watch like, five minutes. I don't know. Like five foot eight. I don't even like as a two way even. And I was mm-hmm. a big Pierre Jackson guy, like in the early G League days. Like, yeah, yeah, I yeah. want to see it. You have to wonder about the height and stuff like that. But Abs- like as a as a like watch this guy's highlights as a dig into the numbers stuff like the I mean, the playmate, the way he makes his teammates just look so good all the time and is so creative. And like, obviously at 5'8", you're never going to be a good defender, but like he has hands. He has mm. like real hands. Okay. Um. So I don't know. He's going to be, he's going to be awesome for the 905. Like, I think, you know, I don't know. You sign some exhibit 10 or two-way big man or something like that yeah, or yeah, power yeah, forward sure. who need, needs help getting put in his spots. Like he's going to be awesome for that kind of stuff. I don't know if there's an NBA path for him. But I think he's going to be – he'll be a 905 legend really quick. Yeah, I mean, I think – I mean, you've obviously covered the 905 extensively um, almost as much as anybody. But, like, you need a great point guard down there just to sort of get everyone into their places and sort of, like, make the thing look decent. Like, I think yeah. when I feel like the 905 is, like, not as useful or, like, I'm not really sure, like, what the utility is, is like a season like last year where it's like you got so many different point guards coming in and out. I mean, there are other issues with the roster. That's normal. Like you're going to have influx when you're when you're managing a G League team. But having a really good point guard that you can rely on who gets everybody involved and sets everyone up, like that is a huge part of it. And I think that the comparison to a lot of people have made is like undrafted, small point guard, you know, played a lot in college. This is Fred. But I, I don't actually see them looking like similar players when you watch them on film. And it's not even a slight to Fred. But I'm just like, you know, Marquise is on a different level in terms of playmaking. And there's a quickness element that I think you would always think from small guards. And Fred is weirdly not a quick guard. And so right. they they play completely differently, from my opinion. Yeah, they, they aren't really similar other than being undersized. And I think yeah. when you're undersized, that extra four or five inches does make a, a pretty big difference. Absolutely. And then, like the question he's going to have to answer, and this is, you know, there have been a number of 905 guys and G League guys in general who have to answer this. is like, can you get your shot off? at five foot eight when now everyone you're playing against has length and knows how to close out well and stuff like that. And like, you don't have to be a high volume pull up three point shooter, but like if you're five foot eight, you probably got to have that in your bag. Um, So, you know, a guy who was a 35% three point shooter last year and only like 31% the year before that, I don't know. You, you really got to hammer that skill and and figure that out. But I think, yeah, for a G like the, and the Raptors have shown us over the years that they really value point guards like that with the nine Oh five, like using a two way slot on Lorenzo Brown, who was like 30 at the time, like shouldn't have been on a two way. And Mm. like, some of that was about like breaking clay, like break glass NBA depth, but it was also about like, you got to have an adult in the room for the 905 teams, especially if you want winning to be a part of your developmental right, strategy. Right. Um, Jordan Lloyd was the same thing. Like that was the Chris Boucher MVP year. And obviously I love Chris Boucher. He's huge. He's a huge fan of your podcast, but uh-huh. my vote would have went to Jordan Lloyd that year. Mm, like the wow. on off stuff was wild. And like the, the organization and stuff like that. But Chris did call his shot that he was going to do Depoy and MVP that year. So it was pretty, 
But like anyway, bro, and, this and, guy was literally Giannis with the 905 for yeah. a while. And like even last year, like they had a bad season and they looked so dramatically different when Jeff Doughton was down there. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's, uh, and that that says that tells you something about the G League environment. Mm-hmm. And it means, you know, you can't take a guy like Jeff Doughton or Jordan Lloyd or Lorenzo Brown's results and be too crazy excited about it, especially overage guys. Um, but I do think like, especially with three two-way slots now, if one of those guys is there because you like him as a dude and because he's going to help everyone around you be better with 905 and help your developmental guys and help your coaches down there and stuff. I think that's like a completely reasonable use of a two-way spot, even if the chances of him becoming an NBA guy are like 5%. That's fair. And listen, man, I think he just wanted a shot, right? And I think even for Marquise, it's like, look, you know, um, uh, some uh, this team did take a chance on me. And a two-way is definitely significantly better than getting signed undrafted to even an Exhibit 10 or yep. even just going straight to the 905, right? So... We are talking about a lot more money, and I think that, yeah, I mean, he he will get a shot for sure. Like, he's going to get a lot of playing time on 905. We'll get, we can track his season, and um, I'm rooting for him. Like, absolutely. Like, he's easy to root for. I really mean that. I said that to Grady as well yesterday, but I, I find them both really easy to root for. So, Blake, appreciate your time. I know you got to get down to the ballpark. Um, You know, I got I know, uh, you know, you, you're, you're busy at all times, but, hmm. you know, appreciate what you do. Um, Everyone really in the city should appreciate what you do. You know, um, Jay's Talk Plus. You're on the you're on the broadcast. Any other anything else you want to plug before you go? No, that's it, man. Yeah. I don't know. I uh... you want to hit me with a Boy Genius uh, concert review real quickly, oh, dude. It was unbelievable. Yeah. I can't believe you weren't there with me. Yeah, no, trust me, I was there in spirit, but uh, yeah, no, it was I was I was unfortunately unavailable. But so uh, get get this, um, they got so a water Lu- bottle. So Lucy cool. Dacus was uh, she had a concussion. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, so she had to do the whole show just sitting down in sunglasses and like you might worry about her and then yeah. like. She just looks spends the concert looking like the coolest person of all time of just like I'm gonna be a rock star just like sitting here casually. Oh, she's still singing and stuff. Yeah, and yeah. With the concussion. I don't know if that My I don't goodness. know if that's good for your concussion, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Huh. All right. Well, yeah. that that's awesome. I'm, I'm really, really happy cool. to see them. Great show. Blow up like this. So yeah, they were good live. All right, Blake. Anything else you want to plug besides uh, listen to Boy Genius and the new record? No, no, that's it, man. Um, okay, that's it. Jay's stuff, Raptor stuff. I don't know. Yeah. leaf stuff if the day calls for it <laughs> that's what i'm saying like you know you, you are really the ben zobras of the station please don't so. make me talk about alex kerfoot on canada day weekend just, just <laughs> i don't know what i don't know what that means but we're gonna sign off on that so <laughs> thanks all for listening please continue to rate review subscribe we'll have daily content on the podcast throughout uh, the end of agency so at least the next three weeks and uh you know a lot of reports from vegas as well so thanks all for listening and uh stay tuned tomorrow